Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every $20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at Armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. There's no better feeling than a personal win. And the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with the personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hello and welcome to the Bike Radar podcast. Brought to you from the team behind Cycling Plus, MBUK and BikeRadar.com. Welcome to the Bike Radar podcast. I'm Rob Spedding. I'm the content director on Bike Radar. And today I am joined by Matthew Loveridge, our senior writer, and Simon Bromley, who is our tech writer. Um, this is a podcast being recorded in the UK, still during the coronavirus lockdown. So we are both, well, we are both, all three of us are in different parts of our parts of our various houses, completely separate, a long way from each other. I'm in the gorgeous city of Bath. Uh, Matthew, where are you? You don't have to reveal your address. I'm in the uh, on the edge of the Forest of Dean, where it's very lovely. And Simon? I'm in Bristol, near the IKEA, but... Near the, yeah. near the IKEA for all you Bristol knowers. Uh, if you don't know where that is, you can look it up on uh, on Google Maps and just get a feel for Simon Bromley's environs. Um, I'm not sure what that accent was. I apologise to any of our people... <laughs> Who are listening basically um so today we are going to talk about um bike pricing um and basically i think what you can get at different prices um when you when you go out bike shopping um and we're going to start quite low and we're going to go up into the stratosphere just to sort of see if we can get behind the, the differences between bikes at different price points um so where do we start simon what's the cheapest sort of price point you would think you could go to to buy a road bike a functioning road bike 
so I think obviously it you know for me someone who's you know quite experienced with bicycles maybe functioning has a slightly different meaning because I would I know that it's worth spending a little bit more so I, I my wife recently brought a decathlon tri-band bike and it's kind of got Shimano Sora on it and I, I, I think that cost a, around 600 500 600 pounds something like that that's probably the cheapest I go now you can get road bikes for less but the sort of 300 pound range i probably i wouldn't go there you can get a fully functional road bike in the two to 300 pound range obviously there's going to be some pretty serious compromises a bike in that range is going to be reasonably basic quite heavy you're not going to get much in the way of branded components like you'll have generic wheels um shifting components will be very generic the biggest problem with bikes that cheap is often the brakes because they tend to be horrible, flexy things. But you can buy a functioning road bike in that kind of price range, or maybe you get a little bit more money if you just want a bike by going with something more like a hybrid at that level. We are mainly going to talk about road bikes today. Would you buy one of those, Matthew? Uh, Personally, no. But (laughs) if I just wanted the absolute cheapest A to B transport, or I just need to get out and do some exercise but i have a very limited budget then yes i would and and those sort of bikes at that that price point that 200 pounds 200 dollars they're not really the ones you would find in you're not likely to find those in your local bike shop are you we're talking about sort of big high street chains and maybe even supermarkets yeah um sometimes bikes from supermarkets are well worth avoiding but there you do get proper bikes from some supermarkets sometimes like the really big chains uh, also some of the a few of the direct sales places like decathlon who simon mentioned do very good value bikes and they do start at that sort of level so you can buy a functioning bike from them for 200 quid and that comes with the backup of a shop that is actually a bike shop whereas if you buy from like a little special buy or whatever then it's you're not really going to be buying from a bike shop at all. You are just getting a bike in a box, and and that's actually part of the part of the the issue with those bikes, isn't it? Because if you are perhaps spending that, you may not you you're going to have to build that bike when you get it home, and the instructions can be slightly hard to to. Uh, they can be decipher. pretty bad. Yeah, if you're you probably don't ideally want your first experience of a road bike to be a very cheap one that you have to set up yourself because you're not going to have an ideal experience but you will get a bike you will get a bike <laughs> what, what what do they tend to be made of are these you know are they aluminium are they steel are they sort of really cheap steel you know the sort of stuff that you know i'm, I'm a child of the 80s i had a, a rally bike that was made out of sort of basically piping i would imagine um yeah they're most likely to be very very cheap aluminium um, but they'll probably, for example, have a steel fork and it will be usually the very lowest grade of steel, something called high tend steel. Uh, you're not going to get a carbon fork or even an aluminium fork on a 200 quid road bike, typically. Um, and there's there's nothing wrong with those foam materials, but they're, they're very heavy and they don't ride particularly nicely. They'll generally have quite a sort of dead feel if you compare them to a, even a slightly more expensive bike. And you, you talked about the brakes. So you said the brakes are usually one of the issues on these bikes. So sort of explain why they why they aren't perhaps the sort of brakes that you could probably trust barreling down a, a very steep climb. Well, they'll typically be, on the very worst bikes, they'll be cal- rim brake calipers that are stamped out of steel or something, and they are just terribly flexible. And they'll also have 
very low grade rubber one piece brake blocks which are usually quite squishy and feel terrible don't give you the feel um yeah i think I feel like Simon wants to say yeah, something. Yeah, I was just going to jump in and say that I was going to plug a video that uh, our lovely video team did. You might remember Joe Knowledge, um, our hill climber, rode 170 kilometers on a 170 pound bike, and uh, it's a, you know it's a really good video, you know, f- to sort of illustrate what Matthew's talking about because there's there's a section of kind of wet downhill where he's kind of pulling the brakes as hard as he can from the drops and he's just not slowing down. And to me, I think that's dangerous. So that's why I wouldn't buy one of those bikes. Uh, I'm not saying obviously every single super cheap bike is like that, but that that's kind of the main one of the main worries I would have. Yeah, that was a bike that he bought from a, a large online online retail giant with the name of a big forest, isn't he? So he, yeah, um, that that's well a very good point, Matthew. I was just going to say... Um... What was I going to say? <laughs> a really salient point there. Um, <laughs> we can edit this. That that is actually an argument um, for going not with a road bike if you are going to spend the absolute minimum amount of money because there are hybrid bikes in the two to three hundred pound range that have proper disc brakes, which even though they won't be very good disc brakes, will still be a lot better than the really low grade road calipers. Um, yeah, I so think that's that a really good something point. to consider. And one other thing, I guess, about those bikes, the gearing. You know, we, we as we go up the up the sort of the money the money chain. You know, we get we get up to twenty two speed on a road bike or whatever. But what, what what would you get? How many how many gears would you get with a two hundred two hundred fifty pound bike, Matthew? You're you're typically going to get uh, components where you've got seven or eight gears at the back at most, and probably a double or a chip, triple crank at the front. Um, but it's not really the number of gears that matters. One of the big problems with very cheap road bikes is that they tend to be specced without much concern or knowledge put into it because they tend not to be specced by enthusiasts. And unfortunately, a lot of very cheap road bikes have very difficult gearing because they're using what were standard ratios from like the 1970s or 80s when everyone mashed everywhere at 60 RPM. And they're just, it's hard going. So yeah, I think... I feel like we need to move on to the next price point. I, so I we think can we talk should. About we... bikes that we want to buy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I think we've pretty much come to the conclusion that we probably wouldn't want to buy a two hundred and fifty pound. No, bike. I, w- so I Simon... would say sorry. Just to interject on just one more point on the gears thing is that if you can get Shimano gears, even at that price point, they can be a bit clunky. And as Matthew says, you might get very tall gears, but surprisingly enough, they do work okay. Like they do shift, yeah. which is yeah, always quite true. surprising. Um, but I suppose Shimano is just one of those companies that. They, they have such economies of scale that they can do stuff even at that level. Yeah, a, good, a very good point. So, Simon, you were saying that you you bought your wife uh, a £600, um, a, tri, a Triban from Decathlon, yeah. um, obviously a, a, a huge retailer here. We've got great experience with the Triban bikes, actually. We're big fans of them. They, they, they offer really good value for money. They are designed, as Matthew has sort of said, they're designed by enthusiasts. Actually, quite a lot of the Triban road bikes, if it's of interest to people in the UK, were designed with the UK in mind. So that sort of step up, £300, that is a lot of money, say, to £200, £300, that is a lot of money. Why is that a good move? Why, why would you maybe just think, right, forget 250 quid, straight in at 500 plus? I think if you really... If you want to do some serious road riding, it comes it, the higher quality kind of components, the, the higher quality frame. I mean, even on this bike, you've got a carbon fork. It has an aluminium steerer, but 
you know that's that's not that's not really a huge deal it it's kind of got a nicer higher quality aluminium frame that uh, you know as Matthew sort of alluded to earlier rides a lot nicer it comes with a Shimano 9 speed Sora which is a really good group set and the the shifter ergonomics in particular are exactly the same as the kind of previous generation you know Ultegra Dura Ace that sort of thing and it shifts really really well it rides really nicely you get slightly higher quality tires it, yeah, it's it's just all all round. It's a much much nicer bike, and it's something that you wouldn't you know if you kind of got into road cycling sort of semi seriously, you wouldn't have to rush out and buy another bike six months down the line in order to keep up with the rest of the people who you want to ride. Yeah, with. I, I agree completely with that because once you get into that five hundred pound to six hundred pound range, you're typically getting on the better value bikes. You'll get Sora, even the next level down, which is eight speed Claris, is a good group set that inherits a lot of the tech, like you say, from higher end stuff. Cause people who aren't that familiar with road bike group sets may not realize, but what Shimano typically does is it launches its big flagship Durace group set. And it does that every five or six years or something. And then it slowly trickles down those features over the following years to the cheaper and cheaper levels. And so eventually it does reach that kind of eight, nine speed stuff. And it doesn't mean that you're getting the same like bling factor or lightweight of the expensive group sets, but you are getting a similar shifting experience. And even the brakes on those cheaper Shimano group sets are pretty good. So what's the difference between the brakes on a on a 500 pound bike and a 250 pound bike? We talked about how bad they can be. So what what's the improvement that's made? The calipers will generally be much stiffer. Um, you'll usually still have one piece brake blocks at that level but they're not all created equally they'll be branded if you like an actual shimano claris brake is fine it's not an object of great beauty or super light and it's not as good as a top level duracell or altegra brake but it's pretty decent it's safe that's the key thing and can you get disc brakes at this price they do start to creep in on road bikes um you'll pretty much invariably be looking at mechanical calipers only which can be quite good but i would say that you need to consider at that price level do you need disc brakes if you're buying a bike as a like do everything commuter or you want to go a bit off-road so you want a bike with bigger tires disc brakes will be a good choice but if you just want a sunny day road bike you do still get more for your money by going rim brakes at that price level and how about the frames on these bikes? What what are you what are you going to be getting over and above what you got on that on that cheap bike? Uh, you'll get a, a lighter alloy frame. It will just be nicer. Um, you might there's a few sort of steel weird options around that price level too. But to get the most for your money at that level, I would buy an alloy frame and hopefully get at least a part carbon fork, if not a full carbon fork. And what about um, contact points, Simon? What have you noticed about your your wife's bike? You know that that that's another thing. You know, on the really cheap bikes, you can get awful saddles and horrible handlebars, even handlebars that are split in the middle so that they can put the shifters on. So, what are how about the contact points? Because they are so important. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, that's a really good point. I mean, so the, the bike that I brought my wife was a uh, woman specific bike, and so it did come with a women specific saddle, which was quite nice. And it, you know, it's got a bit more padding than perhaps. Uh, a performance road bike would have um so if you're riding on it for hours and hours it might not be that comfortable but it's a, you know it's a good value piece of kit and yeah it came with a sort of you know lightweight uh threadless 
stem and handle button, you know, standard handlebar and stem setup that you get on, you know, kind of any higher end road bike, I suppose. I did have to change the, the ha- it came with very wide handlebars. Um, so I changed those to a slightly narrower set, but that, that's, a, that's a kind of niche concern in this household. That is something that only you are obsessed with, I believe. And that, that's probably a whole podcast in itself. Yeah, so, okay, so that, that sounds good. Um, what about if we then move a, move up a gear, so to speak, to uh, to to a thousand pounds? You know, we're getting we are talking. You know, now you are really sort of talking about um, a lot of money for 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 a lot of people. A thousand pounds to to make that investment in something is something you really have to think about. Matthew, what do you want? Okay, uh, so for me personally, if I were buying my first road bike, I would aim to spend a thousand pounds. Because a thousand pounds is the level at which value and performance really coincide. I think you start to get an experience that is so so close to a much more expensive road bike, but it's still not a crazy sum of money. Uh, so at a thousand pounds, if you're buying, for example, a road bike with rim brakes, uh, you can, from the best value uh, bike shops, you would even get full Shimano 105 group set. That's their mid-range sort of work a day but really really good 11 speed group set and you might also get for example branded wheels uh hopefully you'll get a quite nice aluminium frame and full carbon forks now there are also carbon frames at this price level this is a subject of some controversy because i personally wouldn't buy one of them but some of them are pretty decent but if you buy a carbon frame bike that costs a thousand pounds you're gonna get a lesser group set every time and that's a trade-off that I don't think is worthwhile because a really cheap carbon frame is generally no better or in some cases actually worse than a, than the aluminium frame that you get on that bike. Yeah, so that, that's something I suppose it's worth addressing, isn't it? Because when you get into road biking, the idea of a carbon frame is that that's the best thing you can buy. So a £1,000 carbon frame versus a £1,000 aluminium frame is it the comfort of the, that's not really going to be, you know, you're not going to get much more comfort from the carbon frame, if any. It's not going to be much lighter. And actually, it's probably less durable, perhaps. It Obviously, these are big generalizations. But the reality like is that, yeah, carbon's main selling point is it's light and stiff. But in fact carbon frames at that price point are often about the same weight as aluminium frames. There might be like one or 200 grams here or there, but there may not be. Uh, and I personally think that the best aluminium frames at that price level ride better than the carbon frames typically. But again, I am generalizing because there are specific bikes um, over the years that have surprised us. For example, for many years, the Boardman Team Carbon, which has now been replaced by, I think, the 89 the SLR 8.9, that was always a surprisingly good bike for the money. But you've got a better chance of getting a good bike if you go for a, a, an aluminium frame. And, and obviously aluminium comes in different shapes and sizes, or different different shapes and sizes, but different grades. So there are numbers after after each aluminium thing. So is there a number you should be looking at for? There really isn't, actually. And that's that makes it harder because a lot of, Companies will say like, oh, this is aerospace grade, you know, 7075 or something. It's pretty meaningless. All the bike makers are choosing from a actually relatively small list of types of aluminium, but it's what they do with that aluminium that matters. 
So really, you should go and read reviews on Byte Radar. You shouldn't read the spec sheet and say, yeah, this one's better than that one because it simply won't tell you. And, and does that go for butting? Uh, butting side. Butting is where tubes are thinner in the middle and thicker at the ends, basically. Uh, and more butting is generally better. But again, companies will be a bit mealy-mouthed with how they're describing their frame. So in and of itself, I wouldn't read too much into that. I have to say... If I was spending a thousand pounds, I'd be really boring and I'd go and buy a Canyon Endurace aluminium with 105 because that's just a really good bike. Or if that wasn't available, I'd get something like a Rose. Because Rose does some lovely good value bikes. And they're they're direct to market brands as well, aren't they? So, you know, you get you you tend you certainly tend to get a, a little bit more for your money because they don't have the bricks and mortar costs. Yeah, that's a key point. Is, um, the best value bikes will always be those direct-to-market ones. The trade-off is not being able to go to a bike shop and get set up on the bike. So it depends how comfortable you are doing that stuff. If you're a bike fit obsessive like Simon, then uh, you'll be very happy to do that yourself. If you're coming at this with absolutely no experience, maybe consider going to a bike shop and buying a mainstream brand like, say, a Specialized or a Trek where the dealer will get you set up on that bike. Yeah, I think I think that is good advice. And, you know, it's worth I think around that price point, you know, you're kind of starting to hit the kind of top end of alloy and the bottom end of carbon. And so I think I agree with Matthew and I'd rather have a kind of top end alloy frame than a bottom end carbon frame because it allows you to get better components. And, and, you know, I think in our bike of the year test this year, the the thousand pound road bike of the year was a specialized LA Elite. And, um, you know, it, it comes with 105 it's got roval wheels i think and you know that so that those are quite good and you get good saddles good handlebars good good crank set and all that sort of stuff and i think it, there are two there are a lot of compromises often to get a good carbon frame and good everything else on a bike and there's some you know they have to cut a cost somewhere to to put that frame and that's fine if you if you're intending to maybe get that frame and upgrade it down the line but then that obviously involves spending more money I think it's also worth pointing out, I guess, until very recently, a thousand pounds, particularly in the UK, was the, the the sort of limit for the cycle or was seen as the limit for the cycle to work scheme. So you if you were buying a thousand pound bike and your company was part of the cycle to work scheme, you could get kind of nice tax breaks and get those bikes much cheaper. So actually they could re- represent really, really good value. Um, I think it's changed now and you might actually be able to get a two thousand pound bike and the I bike. Think, to work I think I think there's no limit technically. There's no <laughs> limit. We could we can get when we get up to super bikes we'll be applying to immediate media for our superbike allowance um so let, let's let's jump up let's double our money let's go to two thousand pounds simon would you is two thousand pounds you know you're you look like the kind of guy that would spend two thousand pounds on a bike <laughs> yeah i mean you know two thousand pounds is quite an interesting price point because as you say like it's it's a hell of a lot of money in in normal terms but actually in 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 kind of fancy bike terms it's actually still around the lower end but that kind of 1500 to 2000 pound price point you you really do get a lot and you start to see really good carbon frames with group sets like 105 branded wheels nice tires you know everything on everything on a 2000 pound bike should work really really well and essentially shouldn't hold your performance back in any way now you might not get kind of you know you well, you won't get aero wheels you probably won't get an aero frame but you could buy a you know a giant TCR 
one of those models or a, you know probably a specialized tarmac it's you know something from a big brand and it will have good quality components all over it a nice carbon frame and it will do you proud for a number of years so it's you know it's hard everything beyond that feels like a marginal gain to me hmm. can you still get um aluminium bikes for two thousand pounds would you buy a two thousand pound aluminium bike you can get aluminium bikes so you can certainly get fancier ones so i suppose there would be something like the um that specialized alley sprint which is the kind of the one with sort of fancy aero tubing and you know obviously that that is raced at the tour down under criterium quite frequently and you know, i suppose that's probably specialized pushing for it rather than the riders asking for it but it shows that that bike can compete at a kind of world tour level if you if you slap a Jura's group set and some carbon wheels on it maybe i'm not sure if i would if i would buy an aluminium bike at that level unless i kind of wanted to be different the allure yeah. of carbon is still quite strong <laughs> yeah it's true and even if you're only getting this like the third tier frame if it is something like a giant tcr which is a bike we've talked about quite a lot that's a hell of a lot of bike for the money yeah. we should say the thing about what you get for your money with brake type does still apply at this price level because you're probably gonna get a full 105 group set if you go rim brake maybe even an altegra one from one of the more budget oriented brands but if you're going disc you may or may not get that um, you may even get there are bikes that are well into the 2000 plus range that are Tiagra disc. Uh, or we should probably mention that there are actually other groups at manufacturers as well. So of course. you might, for example, get a SRAM rival group set, whereas the rim brake one might have force. And those disc brakes, would they be hydraulic by this point? Yes. Yeah, yeah. You'd get a full hydraulic set where the levers and calipers are matched together. And like those, whether they're Shimano, SRAM, there isn't really a third option because the Campac stuff's a lot more expensive, but they, they'll be very good. Like the brakes are really, really good. Are we in the realms of com uh, carbon componentry yet, or we, have we got to wait? Pretty much have to wait. Some of the best value road bikes start to get, for example, carbon wheels in the mid to upper 2000-ish range. Um, our Giant's pretty generous with that. Uh, the likes of Canyon are as well. Um, but generally speaking, no. And also, if you are getting those things, it's worth thinking, do I want that or would I rather have a higher level group set? Because often the higher level group set is the better overall buy. And something we actually we we have we've neglected to talk about, and, and the, probably more important at that really low level price, the £200, £205, are the tyres. What kind of difference are we going to see with tyres as we go up the the, the, the price points? Because, you know, there's tyre width and there's also brands and compounds. So what are we getting on a £2,000 bike? Really nice tyres, you would hope. If a manufacturer is cheaping out on tyres on a £2,000 bike, that's pretty poor. You should be getting either a good branded tyre from someone like Continental or Vittorio or somebody or if they're doing in-house brand, which is becoming more and more common, like Specialized does it, Giant does it, you want it to not be their most basic level tyre. So, And hopefully it might now on a road bike also be tubeless. Because um, quite often you'll find a huge number of bikes are now coming with tubeless compatible rims, but they're not shipping the bike with a tubeless compatible tyre. So if you want to go tubeless, as well as sorting out valves and tape potentially you're also going to have to shell out for a fairly expensive set of tires yep and and simon you said sort of 105 so that that's actually 
the same as Matthew you said on the on the for the thousand pound bike. So we're still in this. We are still in a same sort of similar group set to a bike that costs half as much. Yeah, you, at, at, so around two grand, you will start seeing Altegra, and um, it's, it's you know it's a more expensive group set. But actually, you know if you read if you read our reviews on BikeRadar.com, it's really hard to tell the difference in performance between those two. Obviously, what you're what you're losing is weight. But in terms of actual performance, bling. yeah, and and a bling and factor, bling. I suppose. But it's it. But in performance wise, I think this is, you know, as as I think as Matthew said, you also start to see group sets from other manufacturers like SRAM and you know maybe possibly even Campagnolo. I don't know if you can get a two grand bike with Campagnolo, but if you're into Italian flair, you won't, you probably won't see it below <laughs> yeah. there. It'll be rim brake with them because Campagnolo only does disc stuff and the really expensive stuff. And the cheapest group set they now do, I think I'm correct in saying, is Veloce because they, they used to do much cheaper group sets, which you may occasionally still see on uh, fitted as an aftermarket thing, but it's not part of their like main consumer range anymore. But yeah, Veloce, which I'll probably get this wrong, I think is now an 11-speed group set. Yeah, I think, I think. it costs a similar amount to Altegra, doesn't it? Yeah, um, and you know, if you if that appeals to you, by all means, go for it. Good group set, but in terms of overall compatibility and stuff, you will make your life a little bit more complicated if you do that. Okay, so you're talking about Campagnolo there. You're saying that's probably on the more expensive bikes. I've just done my national lottery scratch card. I've won some money. I've got more than four thousand pounds. We, I mean, we could keep doubling and keep <laughs> doubling, but let's let, let's just go four grand. I could, you know, we always say this and we shouldn't say, it. you know, I could probably buy quite a nice secondhand Mazda MX-5 or Miata for that, couldn't I, Matthew? Why would I spend four grand on a bike? Uh, it's a very valid point. Um, but of course, you couldn't buy a new MX-5 for that much money. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> true. As, as Simon alluded to earlier, like diminishing returns set in massively when you go over £2,000, massively. And... I think most of us would struggle to for a road bike probably wouldn't go much beyond the three grand mark that would be my kind of personal like this starts to get a bit ridiculous and once you go into that upper echelon what you'll you start to pay for the privilege of having either the second tier or the very top tier frame and um, quite often the top tier frame is only on the really expensive bikes like it might be six grand and up or you, you can buy road bikes that are over 10 grand now uh and those, in theory, that's that's the best frame that that manufacturer produces. But in practice, if you look at the difference between the very, very top Halo model and the second tier, it's usually infinitesimally small. In some cases in the past, it's even been a case of the manufacturer's been like cherry picking the lightest frames from batches and calling those the top end. And so you might be talking about less than 100 grams difference. And maybe, maybe it's notionally stiffer, that top end bike, but... Are you going to notice in the real world? Probably not. So do you think if you were if if it was possible to do a blindfolded bike test and and we put you on a you know, put, put someone on a 6000 pound bike and a 2500 or 2000 pound bike would the differences be noticeable? I mean obviously the crash would be the same but yeah, I think, you know, it, it, obviously the six and a half grand bikes are going to have things probably like very good aero wheels and electronic gearing. And so obviously if you're 
if you're blindfolded, you'll be able to tell the difference between electronic gears and mechanical gears. Now, they don't actually help you go any faster, so it's not really going to affect your performance at all. But at the same time, there's that bling factor, and it's very cool. Um, the aero wheels, you know, those do make some difference, not as much difference as probably the, you know, it, uh, <laughs> it's just simply getting your head down in line with your body. But, you know, that it, <laughs> you have to do that yourself, I suppose. So it does. There are. I think. I think, like Matthew said, it's all about marginal gains. And if you've got the money, and you, you know, you really care about those things, then yeah, like I'm sure it's like it's like having a nice anything. It they, yeah. they are better in in small ways, but you have to pay so much more for that that I, you know, I can't imagine. I think I think similar to Matthew, I can't imagine ever spending four thousand pounds on a bike. But that's probably because I don't have four thousand pounds. Maybe if I did. <laughs> we'd be having a different conversation it's all relative isn't it yeah you know, it, it's if you can afford it why not absolutely like watches, yeah because cameras, I'm sh- houses i'm sure they're so i'm sure they're so much fun and you know we we get to ride some incredible bikes uh you know doing this job and they are great fun and there's nothing like especially bikes at that end that you know they're a bit rarer you don't see so many of them and you know unless you're a member of london dynamo you don't see that many seven grand bikes so if you're the guy who turns up to the group ride on the seven grand bike, everyone's going to want to look at it. And that, you know, that there's, there's something in that. There's, it's quite nice. They'll want to pick it up as well, won't yeah. they? Just see how much <laughs> yeah. lighter do, it do is. Do the little finger test yeah. if you can pick it up with your little finger. I think we should caveat Simon's London Dynamo comment with that, that he is a former member. No, I'm still London a member. Dynamo. He's still a member. So he is allowed to yeah. be rude about them if he was being I rude. I still pay I'm myself. Sure he wasn't. <laughs> so so we i guess we we haven't really covered it, it, it bed, maybe some better wheels a slightly lighter frame the obviously will get carbon componentry everywhere and you can go crazy with the carbon carbon componentry if you if you end up with lightweight wheels and things like that you know uh, and that obviously then means your bike costs huge amounts of money but you, you are we sort of saying there that it's just that if you've got the money do it, but actually, oh, you probably... please do do it, yeah. because the bike industry needs you. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, like, it is a lot of money, but at the same time, we all have a different comfort level for these things, and, you know, if somebody was like, oh, I'm building an extension on my house, and it was only four grand, you'd be like, that's an amazing deal. It's like, we just, we have different calibration, different levels of expectation for things, and the only reason that a four grand bike looks like terrible value for money to me is that a thousand pound bike is such good value for money. Yeah. And so you've got a thousand pound bike. Let's say you've got a thousand pound bike, or you've got a 2000 pound bike. You're very happy with it. The good thing about bikes is they're upgradable. So rather than spending 4,000 pounds straight off, you've spent a certain amount of money. Once the stuff you've got, if you're happy with it, once it wears out, that's when you start that's when you can start really splashing out isn't it and improving the thing that you have by adding better stuff to it so where would you go with things like that so briefly where would you go Simon so you know I've got I really like getting spending my money on things that make a kind of material difference so if you're into racing you know anything that you want to go fast you know the first things you should be looking at are you know clothes you know that that's a that's a huge one but things for your bike you know you really want to think about tires you know even if you get a really good bike it'll still come with tires that 
you know, I may, unless you get the really top of the range bike, it won't have the top of the range tires. And the top of the range tires are expensive, but they're not that expensive. You can get, you know, specialized turbo cottons or Vittoria Corsa speeds if you're doing time trials, you know, Schwalbe, the new TT tires, you know, they cost sort of £40 a tire. Uh, but you could save 10 watts over what you've got on your bike right now. I wouldn't personally bother upgrading the gears. You know, ceramic speed bottom brackets are very bling and very cool. But in terms of pounds spent for what save, they represent, you know, it's it's really hard. You've, you're not getting a lot out of them. Those are the last ceramic bearings and things like that are the last things I'd look at compared to just spending, you know, maybe money on a on a bike fit in a wind tunnel, money on good tires if you're if you're using inner tubes you know you should buy latex inner tubes not your kind of naff butyl ones uh, you know or even consider going tubeless this you know it's things like that personally is what i would spend well it's what i do spend my money on <laughs> matthew do you uh, do you concur uh broadly yes i'm much less performance oriented than simon um but i do think that upgrading tires is a really really worthwhile thing to do um i think I'm most interested in the sort of experiential aspects of it. So like what makes me feel good and what makes me enjoy my riding. So for example, if my road riding is mostly on really horrible lanes, or if I'm even going off onto like a little bit of gravel or something, will my bike take bigger tires is a good consideration. Or like you say, well, could I go tubeless? And then with some bikes that might just be a tire change away, but with others that will mean, mean different wheels. Um, and I think there's a lot to be said for buying the components that make you happy so not necessarily saying ceramic bearings because you can't really see them but for example buying a nice set of hand-built wheels on really beautiful hubs is a good investment if you get that kind of warm glow from using them and it might mean at the same time that you go to a more modern wider rim and you can run it tubeless or something so there are lots of ways that you can add value to your bike in a way that feels personally meaningful without necessarily being a kind of hard data performance-based upgrade Excellent. I think I think we'll end it there. That was a a, a good a good chat. Um, uh, yeah. Thank you very much, Matthew. Thanks for your time. Thank you, Rob. Thank you, Simon. Thank you very much. And of course, thank you to anyone who has been listening. Um, if you do like this, if you're not already a subscriber to our podcast, subscribe on uh, whatever podcast delivery system you are using. And of course, uh, at the moment, do stay safe and and, and keep riding if you can. Um, And once again, thanks for listening and goodbye. Thank you for listening to the Bike Radar podcast. If you want any more information on what we've been talking about or more news and views on cycling, check out bikeradar.com.